0: This is Hello ladies and gentlemen I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now, here are our topics. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about lead pipes here in the United States of America. And for this episode, I'll be bringing you content that is from several news sources, including Bloomberg, Vice News, The Hill, WTTW News, and Vox. So, lead in the water supply. You've heard this story before. We have all heard about what's happened in Flint, Michigan. I'm sure that a lot of you have watched documentaries about what's happened in Flint, Michigan. And so you're probably asking yourself, Desmond, what are we talking about today? Because I'm already well aware that lead in drinking water is a huge issue. Well, I'm aware of that. You probably have heard some of this story before, but allow me to paint a more broad picture about exactly why this is relevant to talk about right now. I'll save that piece for the end here. So let's start with a little bit of what's happening in Chicago currently. So I watched a piece that was done by Vice News just a few months ago. It was a really great piece. I'm gonna link that video in the description below. I recommend that everyone check it out. They focused their video on a part of Chicago called Little Village. Now, according to some studies that were done by the chicago metro agency for planning it said that 90 percent of the homes within this area of chicago called little village had lead pipes that that were for their drinking water now i was pretty disturbed to hear that fact just right off the bat because i thought that you know maybe maybe this is me just being crazy but i thought that You know, we didn't really have that much of an issue with lead pipes in America. I know that there were some places, you know, in Vermont and Michigan and South Carolina that have lead pipes, but I was a little surprised to find out how much more widespread this was, not just in Chicago, but all over our country. But let's just focus here on Chicago for a second here. 90% of the homes in Little Village, again, have lead pipes for drinking water. Now, when these pipes are disturbed, damaged, or the water is stagnant, the lead can leach into people's drinking water. Now this can cause damage on multiple levels for everyone who drinks this water, but especially in children. In fact, children can absorb four to five times as much lead as adults. So this is incredibly harmful for any child to come into contact with. It can cause things like memory loss, learning disabilities, Behavioral issues, just overall, so many different forms of brain impairment for young children. And this not only affects children who drink water directly, but this can also be affected by, you know, adults, women in particular, who can drink water that's contaminated with lead. That lead can be stored in their bones. And then when they later become pregnant, the lead that's in their bones can actually impact a young child while still in the womb, and the child can get lead poisoning that way, which I was completely blown away by hearing that that was a possibility, something that I had personally never heard of before. Not only that, but I also did not know that there's currently, there is no cure for lead poisoning whatsoever. From what we know, there is no cure and the damage is permanent. So this is a huge issue. Lead pipes here in this country causing untold amounts of damage. And for the large part, I feel like this is an issue that just kind of skates underneath the radar, both literally and figuratively, because these pipes are underground. Most people aren't thinking about whether or not their water is safe. We just all assume that these things are safe. We all assume that the water that we have in our homes, in our businesses, in our schools, that these things are just safe, but apparently they are not everywhere in this country. The city of Chicago, for reasons unknown, actually required that all of new homes being built within the city up until 1987 actually have lead pipes installed in them. Coincidentally, this is actually one year after Congress banned lead from being in piping in 1986. And so I'm actually gonna play a quick clip because I wanna just kind of go a little bit more into detail about just how widespread the lead pipe issue is in the city of Chicago. So here's a clip from from Vice, check this out.
1: The city required lead pipes in new homes until 1987. So Chicago has an estimated 400,000 lead lines nearly six times more than the entire state of California. The mayor campaigned to replace them.
2: Lead service lines are a legacy issue
1: that we need to start chipping away at now. And there is a plan that's beginning to take shape. But so far, unless removed by the homeowner, all original lead lines remain intact. And the city estimates that, including restoration, it could cost between $15,000 and $26,000 per line to replace.
0: So if you go further into that clip, and again, if you watch the full video, it's in the description, so please feel free to check it out. But if you go a little bit further into that video, one of the people involved with directly trying to address this issue in Chicago right now, uh, went on to tell the reporter from Vice that she believed that drinking water was completely safe in all of Chicago. But I I think that's a little bit of a misnomer here because the city itself, you know, the Department of Water Management went through the city of Chicago, not just in Little Village, but throughout the entire city and tested at random 3,300 homes last year for lead levels, you know, anywhere across the city. And 64% Of homes in Chicago that were tested during this during this test, came back for having elevated levels of lead within the drinking supply. So this is something that, as the mayor said in that clip, that she's trying to address. It's something that she ran on. It was a part of her platform, and this was a plan. There was a plan put into place last September to go ahead and address this lead piping issue across the city of Chicago, but you know with that being said apparently what they're doing is they're they're trying to address this in phases beginning with low income homeowners which excludes renters and one of the things that's worth noting here is that when it comes to this place that we were referring to in the beginning of the episode little village half of the people who live in little village are renters and so even though they have such an amazing concentration Of lead being in the drinking supply in their part of Chicago, more than half of them won't even be eligible to have these pipes replaced anytime soon because they're not homeowners. And so the city itself has apparently, you know, they have their plan in place to go ahead and replace these lead pipes. But at the current rate that they've been going, it was noted that it would take them 500 years to replace all of the lead pipes that are in Chicago. And, but, you know, but they, they did come out and said that they are, they're ramping up. So they're going to try to move a little bit faster, try to try to get this done a little bit quicker, you know, before, you know, before, you know, the aliens attack and kill us in the next couple of hundred years. So yes, they're ramping up production. They said that they're going to try to get, you know, around 5,000 pipes replaced a year. And at that current rate, if they did go at that rate, you know, it would only take 75 years to get all of the pipes replaced in just the city of Chicago. So, you know, not not really going to take that long. But, you know, with all that being said, since the mayor has implemented this plan 11 months ago, they have yet to replace a single pipe in all of Chicago. So all of that planning and talking about it, so on and so forth, press conferences, they have done literally nothing within the last year. They have not replaced a single pipe in this city. And maybe it's because of cost, right? They did say in that video that it could cost between $15,000 and $26,000 to replace each single pipe. Now that sounds like a lot of money. So let's scale that up a little bit. Let's say every pipe cost $26,000, the absolute maximum on on their one end. And we're talking about, as they said, around 380,000 pipes in Chicago. So that's around $9.8 billion. So let's just call it 10 billion just just to make it easy. It would cost about $10 billion in order to replace all of the pipes in Chicago. And that's like your your high-end estimate. Now, at the rate that they're going right now with their ramp up, the city would be spending around $132 million a year in order to replace these lead pipes. And that sounds like a lot of money until you hear the fact that Chicago also spends $1.6 billion a year on their police budget. Now, I know there's been a lot of controversy around the country about ideas like defund the police, but... You know, maybe sacrificing a couple hundred million dollars out of the police budget for a couple of years to speed up getting lead pipes out of the city might actually be worth it. Because what is, let's just, I'm, I'm diverting here for a little bit, but let me just like make a small point here. Isn't the idea behind funding a police force is the idea that you're trying to keep your community safe? Isn't that what the police are supposed to do? like in theory, right? They're supposed to be there to protect people. If lead is a toxin that is incredibly harmful for children and it's rampant amongst your city, isn't that a health risk? Isn't that a safety issue? Shouldn't that be just as much of a concern as having a police presence? Shouldn't that be worth funding? Am I crazy here? Maybe it's because it's just a lack of priorities with people that they don't think that something like lead pipes is worth putting the same amount of money into that you would put into something like a police force. But, you know, maybe it's just a lack of perspective in the 1950s, when polio was ravaging America and there was around 60,000 cases of polio a year within children across the country, our nation led this national vaccination push. And within 10 years, we were able to eradicate polio here in America. But if you look at what we were able to do then, when we were worried about the safety of our children and compare that to what we now do with lead, there's there's absolutely no comparison. Between 1999 and the year 2010, 1.2 million children reported to have elevated blood levels, blood lead levels. And that was with 12 states not even reporting any of their information. And that's due in in part to the fact that, you know, departments like the EPA don't actually even mandate that cities and states report any kind of testing or whatsoever in regards to lead. And that is an issue that honestly, I could not even fathom that the EPA which says directly that there is no safe level of lead that you can consume. They do not have a single mandate for any kind of states in order to check lead levels in local communities. That there was just, there was nothing. There was nothing whatsoever. In fact, there was nothing until this year. It wasn't until this year that the EPA mandated that elementary schools and childcare facilities be tested for lead. And that's even though they themselves know, said that there is no safe level of lead to consume, and the CDC classifies it as a dangerous neurotoxin. So I, I don't know how you squared this idea in your mind. The Texas Tribune reported earlier this year, this was back in April, that for the first time ever, that the state of Texas would be testing lead levels in the drinking water in elementary schools. Let let me say that one more time. For the first time, for the first time, the state of Texas has never tested its elementary schools for the presence of lead in drinking water until this year. That is absolutely insanity to me. I, I don't even know how you like plausibly get away with that personally. Or the fact that the EPA for the longest time had never mandated it in any way, shape, or form. Just, just how, just, just how? I, I really, had, I'm at a loss for words on this, because, you know, current. This isn't like this is like some isolated problem, where there's only some lead pipes in certain parts of the country. We know that there's at least six million lead pipes across America right now. There's possibly up to 10 million. And the reason again, why that number is such a wide range is because there is no requirement from any federal level that cities, states, local municipalities, they track lead pipes in any way, shape or form. In fact, most cities don't even know where their lead pipes are or how many they have. That was again, another thing that they covered on that advice, uh, that vice video that I was referring to earlier in this. And that kind of leads me to why I'm bringing this up today. So currently there is a bill that is sitting in the house of representatives. It is the infrastructure bill. I did an episode on this bill earlier this year. It's been a hot topic of discussion throughout the summer. It recently passed through the Senate and one of the provisions within this infrastructure bill was funds directly supposed to be related to addressing this issue, getting lead pipes replaced permanently within our country. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, finally, government stepping up to the plate and doing what they should have done years ago. If Congress banned lead from being (laughs) in like, you know, in pipes and in paint, and this was back in 1986. Why did it take until now for us to make a concerted effort to start replacing all of the lead that is within our current infrastructure? Like, why did it take so long? But let me let me just pause for a second because let's focus on the fact that we're addressing it now, right? Right, and so the Biden administration claims that they believe that within 10 years that they can replace all the lead pipes in America and we can finally put this behind us. And they said that the number should be around $45 billion in order to make this a reality, just from the cost analysis that they have. And so that was what they proposed in the infrastructure bill. However, that is not the number that ended up passing through the Senate after the final version of this bill was voted on and so instead of 45 billion like was originally in the bill the final number that is in the bill today is 15 billion so they cut two-thirds of the funding out of the original amount that was put into the bill for lead pipes now this was done during rounds of what they were called negotiations, you know, for the sense of bipartisanship because there was a certain people who were negotiating for this bill who just, they just, they felt like the bill was too expensive. Did not did you hear that when you were hearing about negotiations for this bill that, you know, Republicans just thought it was too expensive and certain moderate Democrats thought the price tag was too high. And so they had to make cuts, right? They just had to make cuts. And so what did they decide to cut? They decided to cut the funding for getting rid of lead pipes in America because that's not a big deal, right? No one really cares about those things. You know, there was other things that they had to, that Republicans had to stand their ground on. You know, they could not, under any circumstances, allow this bill to be too expensive. That was off the table. And then they also said that they couldn't allow there to be certain pay-fors in the bill, like, you know, increasing taxes on the rich. He said that was a no-go. They wouldn't get a single vote from them if there was an increased tax on the rich for this bill. But cutting the funding for lead pipes, that's no big deal whatsoever. But let's not just throw shade at the Republicans here because the Democrats were also very excited to have this bill passed. In fact, Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, one of the top-ranking senators on the Democratic side, had to say this even though his city of Chicago is one of the worst offenders for lead pipes in America. This is how Dick Durbin said about the infrastructure bill. He called it historic and said it was the largest investment in clean water in the history of the United States. And he said, our outdated, decaying water infrastructure is threatening our children's health and in turn threatening our nation's future. When it comes to protecting our children's health and well-being, Solutions cannot wait and the federal government must assist states." And so I asked Dick Durbin and the rest of the Democrats and the rest of the Republicans, what exactly was so wrong about keeping that 45 billion intact? Because if the number to get rid of all lead pipes in America was 45 billion, And you were trying to find a way to shave down a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. Is that really the place where you need to make cuts? Truthfully, is that where you need to make cuts? We know that this is a neurotoxin. We know that it affects children. We know that it causes irreparable damage. We know that the damage that is done can be permanent. We know that it can be stored in people's bodies for years. And our answer to this is to just cut the amount, we cut two thirds of the funding that was gonna go to replacing this neurotoxin out of our everyday lives. Something that a lot of people don't even know if they're consuming or not right now. You may be drinking lead in your water supply right now and you don't even know it because your city doesn't know it because no one tests for it because there's no mandates for it. How insane is all of this now? they could easily remedy this, right? The cost to replace all of this is just $45 billion. That sounds like a lot of money until you know that we give about $20 billion a year in subsidies to to the oil and gas companies. We could just withhold money from them for three years, just three years, and we would have all the money that we would need for to pay to replace this So that there would no longer be a toxin in our water supply that is poisoning people or, or even better. What if I told you that our defense budget for this year was $733 billion? You'd probably say that that's a crazy high number because you'd be absolutely right. Because that number in and of itself would be 40% of the total amount of money spent by every single defense budget on the entire planet earth and that's what we spend in one year and 733 billion is actually what the number would be if we took 45 billion out of our budget in order to in order to fund getting rid of lead pipes in America because the actual defense budget for this year is 778 billion dollars not for 10 years not for the next century for the next year and we're not even at we're not even in a single war right now. Does the defense budget really need to be that high? Can we not take 45 billion out to make sure that children in America aren't being poisoned by a neurotoxin every single year? This is absolutely insane to me. Like like truly, this is, this is not a historic investment in the water of our of our country, the way that Dick Durbin said. This is actually, this is what I would call a bipartisan fail right now. Because right now we have, Democrats in Congress who were talking about how we need to make sure that all kids go to school wearing masks because we need to protect them. And then earlier this year, we had Republicans talking about how they needed to protect women's sports and children, you know, by putting through all of these, all these bills that were, you know, just going after trans kids all over the country. So Democrats and Republicans say that they both care about protecting children. But when it came time to protect children in the form of getting rid of lead pipes here in America, they both epically failed and pat each other on the back for it, and then called it bipartisanship and I called them both fucking hypocrites. And that's the reason why we're talking about this today, because right now, we are sitting here watching a government that has all the power in the world to get rid of something that is literally poisoning our nation and they chose not to do it. And it really wasn't that much money at the end of the day when you consider what it's actually doing to people. In an era where so many people question why people don't trust the government, that is a conversation that's been flying around for the last year in regards to COVID, in regards to the vaccines. Why do so many people not trust the government? Why do they not trust the government? Maybe you look at a story like this, And then ask yourself that question again. Why don't people trust the government? Maybe it's because they have the power to truly impact our lives at the drop of a hat. And it gets just pushed aside for the sake of bipartisanship and budget cuts. And with that, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with my guest for the day, for my guest for the week, stay tuned.
1: Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project. They have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order.
0: Welcome back from the break everyone. Thank you for sticking with me through another episode of Independent Thought. My guest for this week is a good friend of the podcast, Australia. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing?
1: Thank you for having me and I'm doing okay.
0: I was asking you to come on the podcast, you know, like a few months ago. You and I had some conversations about some of the about some issues you're having with the uh, with the healthcare industry in Arkansas, and we're we're definitely going to talk about some of the problems that they're having down <laughs> in the uh, well in the state of Arkansas. But before we do all that, I wanted to first open up the conversation and, let, and talk about something more important, which is that you are yourself a writer. And I wanted yes. to just ask you a couple questions about that before we get into this healthcare conversation. What exactly do you like to write about? And could you tell us like some of the topics that kind of excite you the most when you do like decide to write, whether it's, you know, blogging or, or,
1: or whatever else the case may be. Um, I love giving people my opinion on media I consume. So I review lots of media books, podcasts, TV shows, um, I also put my own creative writing on my blog as well. And then probably the thing that pushed me the most to start a blog was my love of true crime and okay. then specifically missing persons cases or yeah. unsolved crimes. Um, I love unsolved crimes. However, I've gotten a real passion in the last few years with learning about human trafficking and all of that on making missing persons cases, a huge part of my writing. So every Wednesday and Saturday on my blog, I highlight either a Doe network profile or someone off of the Charlie project that's missing. And just to try and bring more attention and eyes to their cases.
0: Yeah. And that's really important work. So that that's, that's really cool that you're doing that. I mean, I just recently did an episode on human trafficking a few months back You know, it's amazing to me that as widespread as that is, that it's not talked about more, uh, just Mm -hmm. how prolific it really is, not just in this country, but in every country. Um, But yeah, with all that being said, I kind of wanted to now turn our conversation a little bit towards some of the uh, absurdities that you and I had spoken about before with what you've been dealing with. Uh, Just for reference sake, you are down in the state of Arkansas, correct?
1: Yes, the lovely natural state.
0: Yes, and you've been having some issues with the healthcare system down in Arkansas that you said were a little bit different than what you experienced growing up in a state like Illinois.
1: Oh, it is very different going from a blue state to a red state.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think one of the things you had first mentioned to me is that uh, religion is
1: very intertwined with healthcare down in
0: Arkansas. Tell me a little bit more about your experiences with
1: that. I'm a secular world. So being in the South, especially in the Bible belt, religion is everything. When you meet someone, the first thing they ask you in the state is what church do you belong to? Not anything. What church? That's the first thing you're asked. And if you respond, I'm not a part of any church. Like the look you get is just a, what heathen are you? I see. Unless and- they're non-religious. They're, they're like, right on. I don't, I don't belong to one either. But like, that's the first question out of someone's mouth. And I'm just like, ugh, okay. And so that spills into everything. Like, I mean, it's not just healthcare. Like it's entwined in everything. Like okay. growing up in Illinois, teachers didn't talk about their religious preference in school. It's done down here. It's everywhere. Like religion is very much part of the everyday life where I'm at. So when it comes to healthcare, I can't just readily go to my doctor's office and get my birth control shot. I have to go call my pharmacy because the autofill isn't set up for the right time for the actual like timing of the medication. So I always have to call to have it filled. I have to go pick it up. Then I have to drive to my doctor's office and have them administer it.
0: So you have to go pick up your own medication from like Walgreens, for instance, Mm -hmm. and then bring it to your doctor because they won't carry it there?
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Yeah, because I'm on the depo shot and their whole thing is because the, the, the medical system that I'm part of is owned by a religious organization. And so they don't want anyone preventing babies and everything. So doctors literally can choose if they're going to prescribe birth control or not. And not all doctors will because of their religious beliefs and convictions. <laughs> Cause that allows, that's, that's, how the, that's how the entire medical world down here functions is they get to pick and choose what they will and won't do based on their religious convictions. And it's completely and utterly okay with the legislature.
0: So I'm gonna ask a very, I guess, what's probably isn't an obvious question, but does that make you feel uncomfortable? That you Absolutely. So <laughs> when it comes to what, what goes on down in the, in the medical industry, I know that not only do you have to deal with restrictions on that level, but there's also been some issues that you that other people are having with you know abortion, and mm-hmm. there's been more or less there's been abortion what we're what we're basically calling my, my
1: state's one of the twelve red states that has asked the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade,
0: right. Uh, and I think, what was it, the the ban that has come through Arkansas recently is another one of those heartbeat bills. And mm-hmm. the governor apparently also admitted that the law itself was unconstitutional, but it's still in place he, anyway.
1: As he signed it, he said that it was unconstitutional because it did not allow for exceptions in right. cases of rape and incest, but he signed it anyways. And it's currently on hold because I believe it was the ACLU sued over it. So it's currently
0: been struck down and they're fighting it out in court. And not only that, but you were also, you know, explaining to me that there is like an Arkansas abortion support network, which has to essentially send people outside Mm -hmm. of the state just so they can receive abortions if they need them or want
1: them. They were helping people because of the restrictions that were already in place in Arkansas, they would help people that needed to, that were outside the limits that Arkansas had already placed. They were helping transport them to states that would get them care. They also provide transportation because there are so few abortion clinics in the state that they will also provide transportation to those.
0: It's unimaginable to me that healthcare should be so dramatically different from state to state. You know, the I, fact
1: I, that there's not even a Planned Parenthood clinic in my state bothers me.
0: Right. I, it just honestly is one of those things where, for me personally, I understand states' rights to a degree, but I feel like there are certain things where, like, it should it shouldn't be this much of a factor, if a factor at all. Like healthcare should not be one of those things where, like, oh well. You know, I can't get the healthcare that I need because I live in Arkansas. Like that, 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 that shouldn't make any sense. That you can receive certain healthcare in a place like Illinois, but you can't receive it in, in Arkansas. I
1: can't, but, I currently can't afford therapy in Arkansas because the way it's structured.
0: Right, right. And you know, on top of that, not only are you having to deal with it on that level, but you were also explaining to me that your that your family is currently dealing with you know a, a crisis because of the restrictive, I guess, like insurance practices in the state mm-hmm. as well. Uh, can you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that story if you're willing to and just how sure. exactly that's impacted like you and your family?
1: Sure. Um, I had a family member who had a mental health crisis and you know, being on state aid, it's not the greatest insurance out there. Right. And so they initially were in a crisis facility and it, it was obvious they needed longer care. But because of the way insurance works here, I had to have them come out of the facility. So that way we could sit here, fight with the insurance to get an assessment. So that way they would determine, does this person need additional care? Okay. So we go through this assessment and then I guess there's tiers to this and everything. So depending on what tier you are is what they'll pay for. And so we go through this assessment Mind you, it takes two weeks to get the assessment. Then it takes, you know, anywhere from two to three weeks after the assessment's done for them to make their determination. So then once we got the assessment done, got the determination back, which I find hilarious that with this determination, they qualified for other health insurance where there is no limit on as many prescriptions as you can get. In a month while well, currently yeah. here in the state on regular insurance it's three prescriptions unless you have your doctor apply for extra slots and you only get six max okay so if you take more than six medications you're basically sol in the state really you have to pick and choose and what what you get each month because they won't cover everything
0: okay and how did that How did that impact, you know, your family member who's dealing with this crisis?
1: Um, the delaying care doesn't help. Yeah. And everything, it just, to me, it just makes the problems worse because then it puts stress on the rest of the family who's trying to, you know, hold it together until they can get there. So, you know, it, it weighs heavily. Right. But, you know, thankfully, with this new insurance, they're able to go into the facility for a longer period of time. Um, They don't have to pay, you know, there's no cost now. So if they're insured, they also have a care coordinator for the family member. So like, if I don't feel they're getting the care they need or whatever, I can call the care coordinator and be like, hey, we're having these problems. Can we change facilities? Right, And they'll arrange that. But, but, you know, I had to pull teeth to get them into a facility to begin with. And it's like, you know, why can't we all just, you know, have a care coordinator that just makes our lives easier? Because, you know, once that went into place, you know, that, because they started making the calls. Yeah, They started hounding people for answers and responses and things so the rest of us didn't have to. Right.
0: And,
1: and it's just like, I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't have to jump through all these hoops to get someone to like help and do something. And the saddest part was the care coordinator and their supervisor cared more about trying to get me help than anyone else around right. that so I was f- asking for help.
0: So the facility was able and willing to help, but everyone else involved was kind of just more or less.
1: The insurance was willing to do what they could to help me. The facility blew me off. Oh, I'm telling the insurance that they would call me to set up things, but that took two extra weeks. (laughs) Um, People were telling me to call crisis lines. I would call crisis lines and they're like, but you're not in immediate danger. So we're not going to do anything. <laughs> Just like, yeah. Is that a complete loss?
0: It's, it's horrifying. Cause you know, personally, whenever, whenever I hear about conversations involving in and around healthcare, the conversation is always about the cost, right? Mm-hmm. So we always talk about, Well, is healthcare affordable? Is healthcare putting people through bankruptcy? You know, those are all very valid conversations because the cost of healthcare is enormous, but Mm -hmm. quality of healthcare is not talked about enough because there are such distinctions, depending on where you are, it feels as though there are just certain people in our country who are not getting adequate healthcare all over the place, especially when you're going through a time of crisis. And unfortunately it does seem like this again, you know, it seems very state to state where certain states just seem to have better healthcare facilities than others. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
1: We're also having the issue where they can't keep their facilities staffed enough. Right. So like recently when I had to cancel our interview the last time I had a sinus infection where I wound up with a swollen lymph node, like in my arm here to where like, I couldn't move my arm, it was so painful. We called the doctor's office to get me an appointment. They're like, yeah, you have to go to walking clinic because we don't have any appointments and we're understaffed. So like, you have to drive 30 minutes to the clinic.
0: Yeah, the the healthcare industry um, does not seem like it's functioning the way it's supposed to down in Arkansas.
1: I also don't understand how people who work in healthcare can deny science.
0: Whole... We're having
1: protests outside of our hospitals
0: lately Wow that is that is a whole nother can of worms but you know <laughs> I I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and kind of like talk to me about what's going on here especially you know the in it again it, it feels like there's certain states like Arkansas that don't really get any coverage being talked about um, issues that they're having you know, the differences between what's happening mm-hmm. in a state like that and states elsewhere, it feels as though our national conversations always seems to focus around the same five or six places, more or less.
1: It it does. And it's really scary because I have family in other states. So I follow other state news and everything like that. And it's surprising to me how much other states pop up in my news than my own state where I reside. And I'm like, right. why is no one talking about what's happening here? <laughs>
0: Right. And it, and it shouldn't be we, that we way. hear
1: more about Texas than we do about Arkansas and Arkansas and Texas are like buddy, buddy, and might as well be friends in this whole thing.
0: Right. Yeah. So I, I really do appreciate you coming on and taking the time to kind of explain to us some of the issues that are going on down in Arkansas. And, you know, for those who, who are interested in connecting with you a little bit, uh, is there a place where they can find you on social media or a place where they might you be can able to find your writing?
1: You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um my facebook is ts hathaway i use that name also on instagram my twitter is widget2009
0: okay well thank you so much for coming on today i really do appreciate it you're definitely welcome back on in the future for everyone else i'll be right back after a quick break with my final thoughts of the day stay tuned <laughs> Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with me through another episode of independent thought. So first I want to go ahead and thank my guest for showing up on the podcast this week. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on TS halfway and just telling everyone about your experiences with the healthcare system down in Arkansas, a state that, you know, a lot of people don't really think about when we think about some of the issues going on in this country, but it. Definitely sounds as though there are some issues that need to be corrected down there. So, thank you for coming on and talking to us about your experience. It's always good to hear firsthand accounts of what people are experiencing within the healthcare industry and just within all different types of industries here in this country. But, you know, as far as what's coming next for the podcast, there will be a new panel episode coming soon. So, make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss that as well as being subscribed to the YouTube channel, because there is a good chance that the video version of said panel will be on the YouTube channel. So why aren't you subscribed yet? Real question, better question. So let me just finish off this episode by talking about why this topic was so important for me right now. I am seeing our news cycle dominated by a very small select amount of topics right now. It is being dominated by the vaccines, it's being dominated by Afghanistan. And honestly, that's that's really about it right now. That, that, that's really it. But there are, just like with any other time during any other year, there are a lot of other stories that are kind of flying underneath the radar. And these are the stories that often need the most attention and they get little to no coverage whatsoever. So the infrastructure bill is something that is a very big deal, as well as the reconciliation bill that they are still debating on right now, that I'm sure that budget cuts will come to that as well. And that's really something that has driven me crazy over the years. This this idea of what gets cut, right? Because we have, you know, Democrats in the Senate right now, like you know Kristen Sinema or or Joe Manchin, who talk about well, well these bills they're just they're just too expensive, and you know I, I think for the sake of bipartisanship we have to cut them down. We 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 can't be spending this much money, and and that sounds logical, you know, on its face value, but the question always becomes what is it that gets cut? Like what gets cut, and should it be cut? And why is it being cut? Because truthfully, if I were to look at an infrastructure bill, obviously we need to be reformatting buildings, we need to be repaving roads, we need to be rebuilding bridges. But if you asked me what's something that absolutely cannot be compromised on, it would be replacing lead pipes in America. That is in no way, shape or form the thing that you cut. In no way. There shouldn't be a dollar taken from that effort. There should be as much money as needed to address that effort. How can you, in good faith, say that we have to do everything we can to make sure that we get a pandemic under control because it is killing people, it's causing damage for life, so on and so forth. We don't even know what kind of effects it has. That's all true. And I can appreciate that but then you turn around and you leave this unchecked and we know how dangerous this can also be and you had all of the money in the world to address it i mean if you have a 1.2 trillion dollar package and somehow you couldn't keep an extra 30 billion in there to make sure that children across the country aren't going to be poisoned by the drinking lead in, like lead water like, how is that logical in any way shape or form i, I can't even contain the amount of disgust that I feel in this moment. Typically I have a much more rehearsed podcast that I bring to all of you. I'm a lot more measured. I'm a lot less emotional about these issues. I try to be very calm and collected when I'm giving you an episode. I I couldn't be collected about this. This was such an insignificant amount of money in comparison to what we were willing to spend. And yet through bipartisanship, we found a way to cut such a vital piece of what should have been left in this infrastructure package. It's disgusting to me. And on top of that, when I learned about the fact that the EPA hadn't until this year mandated schools around the country to check that water was contaminated for lead, first of all, what the hell is wrong with these schools and childcare facilities across the country that they're not just doing it anyway? And then secondly, how the hell has the EPA waited until 2021? in order to bring down said mandate. That is insane to me. You know what that tells me? That tells me that when President Obama was in office and he saw what was happening in Flint, Michigan, and then took a trip to said Flint, Michigan, to talk about how egregious it was that that was happening up up there in that state, that he went back to Washington, D.C., and at that time did not direct the EPA to make that a mandate then. That's what that tells me is that he saw all this happening and that his EPA did not do everything that they could to address this issue. This this shouldn't have been dragging on this long. This should have been a standalone bill with unanimous consent across the board. Who in their right mind can say that they are here to protect us and they are allowing this to prolong for as long as it is? And truthfully, it's just really not that much money in the grand scheme of things. $45 billion is a drop in the hat when you think about how much money we spend every year on our military while we're not in any active wars whatsoever. There is no logic to me whatsoever. Joe Biden is currently, you know, he ran on a platform of Build Back Better. That was his slogan. That was what he wants to do. That is apparently the goal of his administration And you can't look at me in the face and make it make sense about how you allowed this to not be a part of your transformative infrastructure package. I'm just not buying it. That is absolutely gross to me. If, if you have thoughts on this episode or you feel a little bit differently than I do, or you want to add some context to what you think my opinion about all of this is, please feel free to DM me, Twitter. Instagram. Tell me your thoughts. Let me know how you felt about this episode. Thank you to everyone who listened this week. I'll see you next week. Have a good one.